Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, and this will be episode 147. Tonight's guest is Ronnie Dumit, and Ronnie is a 20-year veteran of law enforcement, and he is the founder and president of ATC, which is Answering the Call. Um, it is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we get into what it is about and what they do there. So, yeah, enjoy this episode. It was great. Um, ATC is a fantastic organization. I can't recommend them enough. So we'll put all the links in the description and the bio and all that stuff. Um, strongly recommend and, you know, consider donating. Um, so here is the Washdown Podcast, episode 147 with Ronnie Dumit of Answering the Call. All crews stand by for emergency traffic. All crews stand by for emergency traffic. That's the unit with the meeting. Go ahead with your traffic. Yeah. Oh. Why don't you motherfuckers step hey. in the realm? It's game on. Hey, that's why I brought a knife. I got to protect myself. <laughs> <laughs> I never know. <laughs> oh, shit. I just realized I'm on the black man's across from the cop. That's, that's right, really man. Good. That's right. It's, you're already at a disadvantage. He is way disadvantaged. <laughs> Hands up, don't My hoodie's shoot. white. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You got to love it. Well, Ronnie. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, brother. Welcome to the Washdown yeah, Podcast. How are you? Me. Good. Doing well. So, um, Obviously, I've had first-hand experience with your organization answering the call. It's mm -hmm. absolutely phenomenal. Um, but I'm curious, who who is the Ronnie before we ever even get to answering the call? Who who is Ronnie? Yeah, Ronnie's a the normal guy from Kansas City. I actually grew up in Independence, um, Truman High School grad, and trying to find my way in life as a you know a graduate from high school and going to college and. My brother was uh, serving in the military overseas as an MP, and he said, hey, man, when I get home, let's go be cops together. And I said, let's do it. But that's truly, honestly, really man. A movie I, about I was, that. I was let's, literally let's be cops. <laughs> I know, right? I was literally working at Hallmark Cards, going to Park University, and um, next thing I know, I'm in the police academy, and that was 2000, and uh, graduated in 2000, right at the end of 2000, and uh, 2001, October of, I got hired on with Lee Summit. Um, started my career there, um, spent my entire career there, honestly. Um, yeah, worked my way up. Uh, narcotics was something that I just really enjoyed doing. I, I enjoyed it in the, on the street working patrol, you know, everybody had their niche in a patrol setting, be it stolen autos or, um, burglaries, follow-ups, things of that nature, you know, and mine was just, I guess, uh, they called the gift of gab, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you could just talk to people and, uh, I, you know, I grew up in independent. So back then I remember in high school, you know, seeing sheets of acid, believe it or not, in, in the high schools. And I was like, man, this, and, you know, had friends and friends of friends and seeing people that were sometimes addicted to narcotics back in those days. And it was just kind of something that when I got in a patrol setting, I thought, you know, this is something that I want to do my part in trying to remove from the street the best I could. And the trickle-down effect of that is, you know, this can potentially get into a child's hands or these parents aren't maybe parenting the best because they're on these narcotics. So it was just, it was, it was a knack. It was a niche. It was something that I enjoyed doing. Um, so I was in patrol for five and a half years and working, uh, working with our drug unit, working the drug task force. Um, and then uh, a spot came open in our special investigations unit, which was our drug unit, Lee Summit. 
in 2007 um, and um, put in for it, got it. And that's where I spent the majority of my career. I spent 14 years in narcotics. The last four years uh, of my narcotics career, I went to the Jackson County Drug Task Force and um, enjoyed, really, truly enjoyed the impact that you could make in in that setting um, as as a county as a whole, almost almost nationwide, to be honest with you. Some of the cases we were working were huge um, nationwide cases being sworn in by the feds. So you could go to Oklahoma and Kansas and things of that nature to kind of go where your um, case took you. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's how I got this whole thing started, to be honest with you. Um, in 2015, it was April of 2015. It was a Thursday morning. And one of my colleagues, Detective Josh Ward, um, we got wind that he was at the hospital, ill, sick, you know, not feeling well. And same as your industry is mine, you know, we start poking fun and making fun of him. Like, what do you do? Stub his toe type of thing. Uh, and then then we got word that he was being rushed via ambulance by our fire guys from uh, St. Luke's East to St. Luke's on the Plaza. And then we got concerned. Um, and I reached out to his wife, Melissa. Didn't know her very well. Saw around the department. Josh and I were close enough friends that, you know, I knew um, his love for family. I knew he and I were, were a lot the same. He had a couple kids. I had, I had a child and one on the way. Um, and I knew how much overtime and off-duty he worked. Kind of keep the, the, the family afloat financially. Um, his wife... Um, volunteered her time at Prodeo, which is a nonprofit in Lee Summit for youth. And um, so I was a little concerned. I'm like, well, gosh, if he's being rushed from one hospital to another, something serious is going on. And, and let's just reach out to Melissa and say, hey, what do you, do you need help with anything with the kids? And she messaged me straight back and was like, Josh has been rushed in emergency, sur- emergency surgery and it doesn't look good. So uh, I freaked out and jumped to my, my take home and, and rushed down there. And quite honestly, what that did that day really was uh, the start of a four-month battle for his life. And one that us as a department, as long as I had been there, had never seen before. We didn't really know what it was going to look like. You know, I knew that, that Josh had two twin daughters and a, and a one, almost one-year-old at home, single-income family. That's pretty common in our two industries, especially with the hours you work, you know? Um, so Melissa really, I was all she had. We we're sitting in the OR waiting room. She didn't, didn't have any family except for Josh's dad in Kansas city. Um, we were, I went up to, um, ICU with her in the waiting room and we met with the surgeon and the surgeon's like, look, we don't know exactly what he's fighting as far as virus. He hasn't been ex- uh, completely diagnosed yet. We know it's a flesh-eating bacteria. We just don't know what strain. So we don't know how to extremely uh, to attack it just yet. But this could go anywhere from four weeks to eight months. <laughs> and uh, that was terrifying to hear, to be honest. Um, so uh, the next morning, this was Friday morning, I rushed. She calls me and she's like, hey, he's being rushed back into emergency surgery. I rushed back down there. Uh, the surgeon comes out. Dr. Scott Graves comes out and finds me and and had gotten wind that I was there, came and found me. And he's like, hey, just so you know, the department knows, um, Josh is not going to survive the surgery he's currently in right now. This man had been in surgery, a a surgeon for 33 plus years all over the continental United States. Um, And he told me that he had never seen anyone that sick before from this type of uh, illness. And uh, that 
where he's at right now, he's just not going to survive. So we started planning a funeral. <laughs> um, I called everyone under the sun that day. It was a Friday morning before Melissa even got to the hospital. I didn't want her to know. I didn't, I didn't know how to tell her that. How do you tell a spouse that, um, that has to go home and tell her children that? Um, so the chief shows up and thankfully my good close friend who was our lead chaplain at the police department, Dave Moore showed up and sergeant and captains and everybody rank and file that was in our, in our division showed up and we kind of kumbaya it and everybody was like, what do you think? And I said, I don't think she needs to know. My man of faith, I very much uh, adamantly believe in the power of prayer. And I believe that I believed at that very moment, to be honest with you, that if Melissa believed in her heart that Josh was going to survive that surgery he was currently in, I just knew he would. I don't really know how else to put it to you. So we sat there for three painstaking hours in that OR waiting room. All of us knew what the surgeon had told me, what modern science at that time was telling us. Um, and it was gut wrenching. <laughs> Every time this little sweet um, nurse would come out, she was the one that was kind of updating all the folks in the waiting room of their loved one in the surgery that they were currently in and um, making them aware where they were at. And every time she would come out, she was a nun too, sweet little heart of a lady. Uh, every time she would come out, my stomach would drop because I just knew, I, 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 I really thought she was going to, we were next. You know, she was going to come over and say, I'm, so, I'm sorry to tell you this, but she came out she's like, Hey, uh, you're, so your husband's in recovery. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I just, something told me, I knew it. I just, I knew it in every fiber I had in my body that if Melissa believed it, he was going to survive it. And he did. And then he survived the next one. He survived the next one. He survived the next one. And we, uh, my chief, uh, we knew this was going to be a long road. We did. Um, we were planning a funeral. Uh, it was touch and go. There was a lot of emergency surgeries. There was a lot of Josh not laying on the operating table and, and his body just given out and them having to re revive him and get him back up to ICU and get him stable. Um, his body was extremely weak. I had never seen anything like necrotizing fasciitis is what the final di diagnosis was. It's so wicked. Man, it was terrible. Um, and so my chief reassigned me from my caseload to, to the kids, to Melissa and the kids. And that was my, that was my job was to step in and make sure their needs were met. Got to a point where this was receiving national recognition. People all over the country were starting to hear about the story. And um, I, pick, I would pick Melissa up every single day. And we'd go to the hospital. And we'd sit there 8, 10, 12 hours. Until she was ready to go home, we sat in that hospital. And a lot of that was just sitting there watching Josh and listening to him breathe. He was in a medically induced coma. And I'll be honest with you, Jamie, when I was sitting there, put myself in that bed and I put my wife at the foot of it. And, uh, it, it, I felt like if I'm in the one lane in that bed and my wife is sitting here and my kids are at home, like Josh's were, somebody better damn well step in while I am completely out of it. Right. I, I mean, I'm in a medically induced coma and take care of my family. Take me through your mindset. Because you talked about all you've done for your department and obviously being federalized and like pretty cool work. 
Yeah, yeah, like it was amazing. TV work. TV show level shit we're talking about here. Like you're running, you're running up here all the time. Yeah. Now we're putting you bedside, watching somebody on a vent not do anything, being emotional support. What's that transition like? Well, I had never been in it before. I didn't really know. It was um, it was a complete transition from working casework. Um, and like you said, having 150 cops out there bringing work to your front door every single day, right? Cause that's, that was the size of our department and still is. Um, it was a lot, it was a transition. I mean, I had a wife at home. I had a, a three and a half year old and my wife's pregnant with my, with my daughter. Um, so there was a lot going on in my own household. There was a lot going on at work. I credit my chief and the others within our rank and file that made that decision to appoint somebody from our department to that to that role to step into Melissa and the kids' lives and make sure their needs were met. Um, emotionally, it, it, it wreaked havoc on me, but I'll be honest with you. Um, it didn't, I didn't realize the impact until probably years later, to be honest with you, um, until I met, I don't know if you know, uh, Dr. Jenny Prohaska. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Um, I, we were getting into peer support and I was on the peer support team and I was going through her training through, through our department and she came up to me and she's like, we were talking about Josh and this and that. She's like, Hey, you're kind of all jacked up. You need to actually come to my office and make an appointment. I'm like, God dang, am I that bad doc? You know, um, I, my wife would probably be able to contest that a little bit more than me. I think she probably saw some things that I didn't, you know, you don't even recognize it in yourself sometimes, you know, maybe guys or gals that I worked with did at the time. I felt like I kept it together pretty good for the four months Josh was in the hospital. Um, I felt like it was a brand new mission to me, right? Like this was one that I was not going to allow to to fail. Um, I knew Josh well enough. I knew his heart. I knew I knew our friendship and our love for one another. I knew if I was the one laying there and Josh was assigned to my family, my family wouldn't fail. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, I didn't know how to keep them from not failing. I knew that if I was laying there, the biggest need was probably going to be a financial one early on. I really did, especially with um, being their situation was a single income family. Um, and I knew the amount of overtime and off duty that Josh worked to pay the bills. And so um, that was immediate to me to make sure that if, if he survived this, that he woke when he awakes, if he awoke, um, to make sure that he still had a home to return to, you know, that was my big thing, um, to make sure that they were up to date on their bills. So Melissa and I had to sit down and go through that difficult conversation. Let's look at your bills one morning before we went to the hospital. And, you know, she's, look, look, this woman is, is thrust into single motherhood in a blink of an eye. Um, and not just single as in doing all herself, single plus still worrying about yeah, we're her make, husband. <laughs> she, doesn't eight, have, she doesn't have the luxury of just absolutely. doing it We're herself. making eight, 20, 10, 12 hours a day. We're making life and death. And I say we, cause you know, we're sitting there hand and uh, shoulder to shoulder making life and death decisions for, for her own husband. You know, it was impactful um, how she held it together. She's still one of the strongest humans I've ever met in my life. Um, and she, she was incredible through that whole process. But what my job was, was to make sure that they just didn't fail. And I knew Josh would do the same for me. So we actually started to fundraise. The, the word was getting out. I was the point of contact um, from our PIO division to the community, uh, emails, phone calls. Um, man, I was receiving donations from around this country, Vermont, Maryland, um, Minnesota. It was unbelievable. 
was incredible to me. It was inspiring to me. And I knew when that started, I knew that we had something. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I was like, man, there's, there's a community out there that loves our profession, that loves this family for the sole reason of who he is and what he's done for this community for the last 10 years of his life. And when was that? It was 2015. So we're not in the best time for law enforcement really either. If you we're, remember, we're that's, <laughs> that's, that's Ferguson. I mean, and on the other side of the state, there was an entire city, if not multiple cities that were burning. And there was a lot of, a lot of situations, right? A lot of problems going on. Um, it was starting to trickle over to this side of the state a little bit. And, you know, a lot of the hands up, don't shoot type of thing was happening. And it was a, it was a contentious moment. I mean, there would have been just as many people would have praised him if he would have died. The, the s- stupid, sick reality that it is, that's what you're up against. And to f- know that there's that much still national support has got to be. Man, I, that's what it was. I, I tried to focus on the positive out of it, and that's what I really started to focus on. Because you can go down that rabbit hole, right? And you can get really frustrated and mad. But what I saw coming in and what was happening was uh, um, a support of my brother and his family when I didn't really know if we were going to get any support. Um, but we did. This city was unbelievable. The amount of small businesses, mom and pop owned shops that were reaching out to me, wanting to do fundraisers for Josh and his family. Um, you know, and one of the big things that really frustrated me was a good friend of mine who's my CPA, Brett Reinhardt. And I were sitting down um, and we were discussing things. And he said, Ron, you really need to find a nonprofit here in Kansas City that will um, that will open up a fund for you for fundraising purposes. And I was like, okay, yeah, you, no problem. I understand where you're going with that because if you have a 501c3 attached to a, a, you know, a situation, um, businesses are going to get involved. People are going to donate large uh, donations because you have a 501c3. It's a tax credit, right? And every nonprofit that I reached out to just didn't have the ability to do that or they just didn't want to. Um, I was very frustrated. So Fuck you. I'll do it myself. <laughs> That's exactly what happened, man. We just said, screw it. This was June of. Josh was, by the grace of God, to be honest with you, um, Josh awoke. He survived 27 surgeries in four months. The man lost 60, 60 to 68% of his upper body mass. I'm talking um, pectoral muscles and his, his rib cage were literally open where they had to do a muscle flap where they took his abdominal muscle and flapped it over um, his rib cage. Um, he lost his, I think his thumb on his left hand, his finger on his, uh, his trigger finger. Um, and he lost his profession over it, unfortunately, you know, but he... He was, he was alive and he was able to hug his wife again and continue to be a father. Um, probably one of the toughest individuals I've ever met. The thing that I noticed early on, and I'll never forget this, was when Josh woke up, um, he saw two people. Thank God he saw Melissa first, right? His beautiful wife. Not ugly and not my ugly ass. <laughs> uh, but I was the second guy. And I think what happened was, is, you know, Melissa got drug away by a doctor or nurse or somebody. And they were kind of explaining the situation. He looked at me and, you know, he's kind of uh, eyes are glossed over. And, and uh, he's like, man, uh, you know, it's hard to say. This was six weeks later, bud. <laughs> six weeks of your life has been gone. Um, but we've got you. Could you imagine waking up and, 
not knowing for the last six weeks, how's my family? Um, or my, is my wife, are my kids okay? Is my house still there? What have I been doing? I, I couldn't even put myself in his shoes, but I was able to tell him because of the amount of money we were able to bring in in that short period of time that you and your family are going to be taken care of financially. And man, I've seen this multiple times in the eight years I've run my foundation, a literal uh, light switch went off in him. He flipped that switch and he was like, okay, give me the fuck out of this place. I'm ready to rock and roll. What do I have to do? You're telling me that I don't have to go work off, overtime and off duty right now because I can't, but my family's going to be taken care of financially. Because he would have. He would have showed up in a he hospital room somehow, with a gun belt Somehow, on. you know. Um, those, that's what guys do in our industry, right? They just want to get back to work. They don't want to be laying in a hospital bed or a bedroom. They want to be working. That's what we do. That's what God put us on this planet to do is serve, protect our community. Um, but he was able to be selfish for once in his life. Josh was able to really just focus on himself because that's what he knew it was going to take to get him out of there. Um, from six weeks prior, we were planning a funeral to now Josh is awake and he's ready to rock and roll and get out of that hospital bed. It was awesome. It was badass. So we founded the, the 501c3, um, answering the call right then and there uh, in June that year. Um, and you had this dumbass detective cop trying to figure things out. <laughs> Obviously, you founded it. What are your next steps? What's the growth of that agency look like to what it is today? Oh, man, huge. I mean, it was uh, the first two years, if I'm honest with you, the first two years, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I founded a board. I dropped to my knees and asked the good Lord above to give me names, and he gave me five names, and I called every single one of them, and they all said yes, and so they jumped on this this machine with me. Um, but I didn't really know what to do. Um, I, I I knew when we had a when we had a, a catastrophic situation, Josh's situation, that people just came to me um, because of because of who he was and the situation he was going through. But as far as um, just fundraising. Uh, grassroots, I guess, if you will. I, I didn't really know how to do that, if I'm really honest with you. Um, and then if you remember, I believe it was 2017, Tom Wagstaff with Independence was shot in the head during a home invasion. And um, I was asked by um, peer support to go up to the hospital. I was already headed up there anyhow. I was actually on the range shooting when when Tom got shot. But I had known Tom for my, for my time on the SWAT team, and he was on their TAC team as well. So I wanted to be there. Uh, it was just one of those situations where I just felt driven to go. And so I just went up there to kind of be there for the guys and lend support and um, let them know I was here if they needed anything. And uh, my good friend who is just, man, he's he's a, uh, he's a one of the most amazing men I, I've ever met. Friend, cop, detective, uh, Luis Virgil was there. Um, Luis is just one of those guys that just, everybody falls back on. He's just got this, he's got these big shoulders and he's able to take on a ton of emotion support and physical support. And he's just one of those guys that a lot of people ask for help. And he was there and I saw him and he said, Hey Ronnie, I'll, I'll be right back. I'm going to a meeting with the chief and command staff. And I said, well, what do you got going on? He's like, well, we're trying to figure out where we're going to open this fund and how we're going to open this fund. We're going to have to do all this fundraising. It's like ding, 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 you know, light bulb. There it was. The same thing that I needed two years prior was this fund to to open for fundraising purposes. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. He's like, what do you mean? I started telling him about us and who we were and terrible to marketing. So people even, you know, within five minutes of my front door didn't even know who we were and what we were doing. And I said, 
we've got a, an account at the Public Safety Credit Union. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Let me open an account for you. Funnel everything right into it. Tell the community who we are and what we're doing. And man, it just, it took off. It took off. It really, honestly, I hate to say it, um, disasters, catastrophes, injuries um, put us on the map because that's who we are and what we do. We get involved with the worst that our first responder community has to deal with, right? We, we get involved in a different respect um, than, than other foundations around do. Um, there's a need for each and every single one of them, right? Um, line of duty death or the mental side of it. But nobody was stepping into our first responders' lives in our two industries after a catastrophic, severe injury um, or a rare and aggressive illness. You know, these men and women, you, the men and women you work with and the men and women I worked with were out there grinding every single day away from our families, ask nothing of the community other than just let us serve you. Well, who steps in? What resources are out there for these folks when they get shot in the head or burn up in a house fire? You know, everybody's like, hey, God bless, take care. Hope you can come back to work when you can. Thoughts and prayers. I, and I'll take all the prayers and I'll take all your thoughts, but we need work. We need action right here, right now. This family cannot suffer financially. You know, you, you take the stress of our two professions, right? And, and not just the stress in us, but the stress that it puts on our families. And then you take a knock at the door at 3 a.m., right? Because that's happened recently a lot. Happened eight times last year to Kansas City Metro. We had eight officers shot in Kansas City in 2023, right? Eight spouses got knocks on their doors. Just on the, just on the police side. Sorry to tell you, but I need you to get in a car. I need you to go to the hospital with me right now. Who steps in and takes care of them? Prior to 2015, there were zero resources, Jamie. When Josh got sick, I was waiting for all these, all these people to come when they heard about this story and say, hey, we're here to help. Financially, let's open a fund for them. There was nothing. So, like you said, fuck it. I'll do it myself. And that's what we did. I got sick and tired over 20 plus years of my life watching my friends suffer at no fault of their own. Simply going out and doing their job, simply going out away from the birthdays and away from the anniversaries and away from the Christmases and the Easter's selfishly, selflessly serving this community. And then they take a round of the head and we got people that are showing up. And like you said, standing in front of a podium in front of a hospital and saying, we support our men and women in blue, right? And then they go home. It's a really great political line. Then they go home. What about the wife and kids? What about the husband and the kids? There's nothing. So we get involved immediately. As soon as I hear about it, um, 12 to 24 hours of the incident and or diagnosis, you know yourself, we get involved. Um, and there is no red tape. There's none of that bullshit to deal with. The last thing this poor spouse needs to do is sit in a hospital room with her, I'll just say husband, right? Filling out a bunch of fucking forms. Opening up a damn laptop mm -hmm. and putting her life history on yeah. six different pages. Let's see if you qualify for our services. Right. Let's see. You know what? Well, if you don't qualify for that, but you get a handshake and a slap on the butt. Yeah, Congrats, man. Guys. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, 
Man, I've had it's so It's almost infuriating. And I can even oh. tell, like, just your, like, I'm getting mad about it again because we've all, Jeremy, you and me, we've lived that. We've yeah. seen it. And we've just been so damn frustrated about the talking heads and, and the bulletin board material and, and, you know, the grandstanding and the photos. But what is fucking getting done? Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, it's uh, it's a misconception in this community. And when the community hears about it, they are pissed. I'm going to speak at the Lee Summit Rotary this week on um, Friday. And then next week I go and speak out in, uh, in Lenexa. And I'm telling you, each, one, each and every single person in that, in that room, when I describe our officers and our firefighters out there doing what they do every single day. Your neighbors, your, your own neighbors. Your, your coaches, your neighbors, the guy that's out and the gal that's out throwing the football with the kids that's going out and putting their lives on that literally will step in front of you and your family to take that bullet to the head or run into a house fire that you had to get out of to go save your loved ones. If something happens for them that they're out, you know, putting their own life on the line, if something happens catastrophically to them and their families are at home, there's nothing, there's zero resources to our state, our county, our cities, nothing. They swear an oath to protect and serve sometimes and pay the ultimate sacrifice. You would, and what's sad is you'd almost be better off if you were dead financially. Your family will be. You're, you, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to get into specifics, but I mean, we've seen that where, you know, the guys that just get hurt or the people that just get hurt and don't die are they get thrown by the wayside. And then what happens is you see that. And I was talking about the stress, right? You talk about the stress of the job in and of itself. And what I didn't realize when I was a young single cop and I was, you know, dating my wife and fiancés. And then we started having kids. I didn't realize the stress trickled down to my family until later in my career. Um, but you take that and you compile it with a severe catastrophic injury or illness. And now the spouse is having to take off work. And now the spouse can't pay their bills. And then you get this, the first responder to finally get out of the hospital and come home. And now they're, they, they become the caretaker, right? And now this stress is just mounting and it's building and it's building. And then you have a breakdown of family and then we see what we're seeing in our two industries with, with suicide. So my big, my big thing is, is keeping family together. Um, and I believe, and I've seen it over the eight years and the hundred or the $850,000 we've donated in eight years is the stress level in these folks when they're sitting in a hospital room and their loved one shot that happened eight times last year in Kansas City. If I can just get there quickly. We can alleviate that financial stress almost immediately. And there's just this, there's this deep breath that they can take. They got a little bit of room. We got some breathing room here. I'm going to pay your mortgage for the next five months. You don't have to worry about it. Take care of yourself. Walked into a hospital of a female officer that, from Trenton, Missouri that was shot. I want to say it was four years ago. She was life flighted up to Kansas City. Um, and I found out where she was at and, uh, went up there with a representative from FOP 50, Lodge 50 took me up there, um, walked in, she was by herself. We've come to find out single mom, 25 years old of a five-year-old little girl is shot in the abdomen, um, handed her my envelope, did my song and dance, told her who we were and her head, she opened the check, her head went straight back against, against the, uh, the bed, the pillow, and just these huge crocodile tears were going down her face, right? And I just, I just stood there for a minute and I knew these tears weren't, of, they weren't pain. She wasn't in any pain. It was relief. 
she told me right before I walked in that door that since she got to the hospital, her biggest worry and her biggest concern was paying her mortgage. How am I going to pay my mortgage now? She was working overtime away from her daughter just to pay her mortgage. You glossed over 850000 in eight years, Ronnie. That's not a $5 check. That's not a one-time mortgage payment. We're talking thousands and tens of thousands of dollars yeah. that you're assisting these families with. That's not... It's just not a small feat, buddy. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know, before our foundation was was put into place, um, and one of our guys in our own department or a family member of theirs would get sick or ill or injured, um, you know, you, you pass the hat around the industry, right? You pass the hat around the firehouse, around our department. You come up with two, three, four, five hundred dollars, and you hand it over to the spouse. You're like, I hope this helps. And and it's all a good intention. Too. That, it's a great intention, but you got guys that are having to work overtime and off duty to pay their own bills. They can't dig into those deep pockets, right? So what we do is we make a huge, we make an impact. I'm going to walk in to this hospital room or I'm going to show up at this department and I'm going to hand this check off to this commander and they're going to be able to go over to this family that's has a loved one that's, that's just been shot or burned up in a house fire, grass fire, whatever it may be, or fighting an illness and say, Quite honestly, for the next three to four or five months, your bills are paid. Your mortgage is covered. Focus on yourself. The time you're going to have to take off work, the wear and tear back and forth from Mayo Clinic. We fly guys to Mayo if need to. We take their spouse with them if they need to go. You know, people don't realize the wear and tear and the having to eat out three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because Melissa and I did that every single day. It just, it crushes your pocketbook. And when you're not making as much, let's be honest, our two industries don't pay their bills off their hourly rate, at least for the first eight to 10 years, right? That's why firefighters always have secondary jobs or they take up an extra shift. Police officers work uh, off duty and, and overtime. They don't bitch or complain about it, but that's where your, that's where your hourly rate actually pays your bills. Um, you take that away from them for an extended period of time, they will be crushed financially. Um, and then you had the family breakdown. So yeah, we, $850,000 um, in, in eight years. And this is our ninth year this June. That's huge. So, it's unbelievable, man. And quite honestly, it's not me. It's this community of Kansas City. They love it. And it's the misconception because they truly believe that there's things in place. They feel, at least from what they tell me, that the billions, that millions and billions of dollars of tax revenue, there should be something in place. There should be. There should be something (laughs) in place for our men and women, the constituents of these government officials, right? That uh, if something should happen, let's just say even on duty, Tom Wagstaff shot in the head, nothing from the state. You know, getting a 40-hour week check. God bless, take care. But let's really make an impact. I'll take all the prayers. The only reason Tom's alive is because of prayer. I know it. I just know it. And we were able to financially support his family and Independence and Luis Virgil and Chief and everyone else did an amazing job. And Wendy Winans, they did an amazing job of getting involved with the Wagstaff family and getting his and getting his story out to the community. And the amount of events that they put on and the community coming to him, I mean, it was it was it was all inspiring, to be honest with you. Um, it was just incredible. Two days ago, um, 
friend of the show. We've had him on couple, at least once, if not a couple times. Good friend of mine, Joe Gwynn, was in his motorcycle wreck. Went to go get groceries. Um, got hit. Was in the hospital with a broken neck for, God, two months. And I remember uh, some people reached out and said, hey, like this organization answering the call is phenomenal. Like they can help. And I, I remember looking back at our messages when you and I had first talked and that family was guaranteed money eight hours after mm-hmm. that incident. Yeah, I don't have a huge, um, I don't put a lot on my board members. We have um, seven sitting board members. I don't ask a whole lot of them. The one thing that I ask and the one thing that we're all in agreement upon is when we have a first responder in need and as soon as we hear about it, we put a vote out to the board to decide a if we want to if we want to donate and b the amount. Typically five or ten thousand dollars. We take a lot of things into consideration, right? But I want that answer to that family to that department within ten to fifteen minutes after they reach out to me, because I want them to be able to relay that to the spouse or to the first responder themselves if they're cognizant. That look, there's a substantial amount of money coming your way, and to be honest with you, that's not a one-time donation. Um, if the family's still struggling three months later, and the first responder's still off work, we'll step back in. We've done it. We've we've donated up to twenty thousand dollars to one family uh, four different times in one in a twelve-month period. Um, so, you know, our Kansas City officers that were shot last February. Several of those guys were off for months, six, seven, eight months. You know, average about fifteen hundred to two thousand a month they're losing in overtime and off duty. And um, one of the spouses specifically, she was a stay-at-home mom. They had three little kids. You know, <laughs> we need some additional help. Here you go, helping a Riverside officer. This this story is what pisses me off. This guy uh, served as a Marine, uh, combat Marine uh, in 2000, early 2000s, right? Comes home after five years, uh, several different deployments over a five-year period. Comes home, becomes a Riverside officer. Um, serves our community for 18 years. Fit as a fill. I mean, everybody that I've talked to about this guy, man, he's your typical Marine. Runs, works out, can run miles upon miles. Going up the flight of stairs one day at work and he's out of breath and obviously something's not right. Okay, goes to the doctor, gets diagnosed with um, subtype of, I thought, I think they thought early on it was a type of cancer, but it's some kind of a burn pit syndrome is is the best way that I can put it because I, I don't know the medical term for it. Um, not able to go to work. Um, I believe he had some, was having some seizures early on. Okay, so now he's off work and we step in making an, an initial donation. He's working with the VA. I can, that's a whole different podcast, right? <laughs> for what he, for this burn pit syndrome that he was being diagnosed with. Then the guy calls me back. I don't know. Oh, after our initial donation, I think three months later, I actually never met him face to face. A lot of these folks, I don't. I mean, I'm the last guy they need to meet, right? They, they don't need one other person showing up in their life. They just need some financial assistance. So I don't have to meet these folks. But he calls me on the phone and he says, man, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm in a situation right now where I don't have money coming in either way. 
Um, I'm I'm off work on long-term disability and my long-term disability isn't paying me like it should right now. And uh, I can't make my mortgage. How shitty is that? This guy serves our country for five years as a combat Marine overseas. And then he comes home and he serves our country, our community right here in our own backyard. This is 20 plus years of service to country and, and community. And five months after his diagnosis, he can't even pay his mortgage. It's a problem. So that within out within an hour, he had a check waiting for him at a at one of our local branches and he was able to go up and get it. And then Red X and some folks in their department to their credit, got together and, and through us, we opened an account for him and we were able to, you know, with the community's assistance, again, within two weeks, we were able to raise $18,000. You know, shouldn't even be a thing. Answering the call shouldn't even have to be an organization. We shouldn't even need to be here. We shouldn't have to dip into the pockets of our community. They do it enough for themselves out through their, through their taxes, in my opinion. Okay, I, I don't run a state um, or a county or a city. But if we did, it would all be better. That's what I oh, at least think. I don't know about that, buddy. <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, man, it's 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 a, it's extremely unfortunate. But I will tell you that the community, when they hear these stories, they are they are pissed. They're like, "This is a bunch of crap. Why is this even happening? Why is this even a thing? Why are, why are, why are these men and women not being taken care of?" Because I met a Marine last Memorial Day. And we're standing on a pontoon boat having a drink together. And he's like, so what do you, you know, I heard about your organization. Tell me what you do. And I told him, he's like, why are these, why are there not resources for these men and women? That's a great question. I get asked that all the time. And people think I have an answer for it. And I absolutely don't. I, I don't know. It makes no sense to me. But. Because it, we're cogs in a wheel. We are, man. That's it. it I is. mean, somebody else will be filling that seat, you know. The next shift, once you're gone. You and, are a number. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and it, that's how it used to be. Yeah. But now we're seeing all over the country, hey, people aren't stepping up to do these jobs like they used to. I tell people that all the time. You know, the last two years I was at the department, you know, and our uh, our department's in a great, great position. We have great community support in Lee Summit. We really do. Um, and, and, and uh, it's a good, it's a great place to work, man. It really is. It was the toughest decision I ever made was leaving early to do this foundation. But we did recruiting, you know, and I was in the recruitment department. We were in the hiring department. I was in community outreach. And um, we went from, you know, say in 2000, when I tested for the Lee Summit Police Department, um, you know, two to 300 people for one testing for three positions. I tell people this all the time to current day. We had 13 positions open and we would have seven to 10 people show up for a testing. And I tell people this, I'm like, listen, this isn't the United States military. There's no draft. These people are your neighbors. They're your coaches. They're kids getting out of high school that are volunteering to come and serve. They're following their heart. They're following what God, in my opinion, created them for service to community, to serve God's church and and take care of them. But when, when you, you can only bastardize, I'll just say the police for so long, right? And then they're like, man, that, that job doesn't sound great. And you're going to pay me $50,000 a year and I'm supposed to raise a family off of that? You know, and it's, <clears throat> we don't agree with it. We don't like it, but it's the reality, especially with social media these days. You know, I, I've seen it. I've seen everything from an officer injured and in, you follow the news Facebook article, and there's a good chunk of the comments of people wishing that officer dead. 
And it's when people read that, why would any of them want to go, <laughs> sure, that career sounds great. Sounds like a great job. It, it, it's amazing to me. One, one question I have for you, Ronnie, is how do you, I've been with you now, bedside, mm-hmm. when you deliver a check to the family of a dying man. And it, what I love about you, and I think as a representation even more so of your organization, is how humble you are when you do it. It is not about you. It is about the person that you're there and that family that you're there. How do you, in a healthy way, detach yourself from the situation and know you're there to serve a role? And either, not, and either A, not let it emotionally get to you in the moment, or, or not let it feed your ego. Um. So I'll tell you that I, I get asked that question a lot by folks in the professions because they're like, well, how do you handle all of this? Because everything that I do is really doom and gloom, right? The worst case scenario for our first responders and stepping into a family's life. But to be honest with you, Jamie, it's therapeutic for me because I saw before our organization existed how the dissolve of the family, right, would happen without any type of resources. And now I get to be that resource. Our community expects me with every damn dollar they donate to support our first responders. They expect that of me. That's my job. When I hear, I got a text message on the way over here and I'm checking into it, so I won't get into it, but there's a situation right now. We have an officer who's potentially extremely injured right now and I'm checking into it. But when I stand in front of 500 people at a, answering the call trivia night and we raise $120,000. That money isn't, sit, isn't there just to sit on and do nothing with. The community has expectations for our organization. They want these people taken care of and immediately taken care of. And that's our mission. So to me, it's therapeutic. I'm not going to lie. Um, there's no training out there that can prepare you to stand bedside of a man who knows his fate and look his wife and two kids in in the eyes and have two of his, three of his friends in that room and try to contain myself. Right. It's not easy. I didn't. I know it's (laughs) it's not easy. Um, but we are all they have. And that's a diff. That's a, that's a lot. But I also know that we're all they have. If that makes sense. They don't know that. I had a spouse of a police officer that was shot just last year. Um, I was at the hospital. I didn't actually go in and meet the three officer spouses that were shot because, believe it or not, I couldn't find a parking spot. So I just handed the check off to to the captain and the sergeant over that unit. Um, but weeks later, I met I met some of the spouses um, and I met some of the the, the police officers. And she said to me, um, I didn't know what I needed. You knew what I needed. I didn't know the lack of resources. I didn't know that my husband laying here for the next, how we know how many months, what that was going to look like for our family, but you already did. And number one, it was financial. And then when the beautiful thing is, and the, what is the coolest thing I think about our organization is I have all these small business owners that reach out to me. And they say, through you, we want to be a resource to them. Unique Painting will paint their homes for free. 
we're doing the unique challenge right now, looking for a first responder or a teacher or a nurse or someone that this organization, this small family-owned business can step in and paint their home for free. It's amazing. We painted Officer Mulbauer's wife's home last year after Jim was killed with KCPD. Um, Liberty uh, Car Care up in Liberty, Missouri. They're on car number five right now of local first responders. And I'm talking, they're taking care of bills. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of maintenance and uh, just upkeep for these folks that are in dire straits that need this and not a bill comes. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, HVAC work, plumbing, Officer uh, um, Oswald's wife. Uh, officer Oswald was the officer killed in Fairway, Kansas last year. Um, I keep in touch with Hannah uh, just to be a resource, right? She called me four weeks ago and she said, Ronnie, my pipe broke in my basement. Within an hour, I had our ACHVAC plumbing company over there and they won't send me a bill. It's incredible, man. The, the way the Kansas City community, and this is both sides of the state line because that's who we serve. We service both sides of the state line, Kansas and Missouri. The way they support their first responders is like nothing I've ever seen. Um, and, and, you know, you talked about seeing an officer shot in another part of the country and the thread on social media is negative about, man, I, you know, he deserves to die or this and that. Or my Man, favorite, that's what they signed up for. That's what they signed up for. But let me, let, me, let me just say that that's the minority of people. It really is. The vast majority are our silent majority. And they support an organization here in Kansas City. And sometimes a lot of them do it quietly, anonymously. $850 plus thousand in eight years. Over $1.7 fundraised. It's unbelievable. Um, it, it's something that's never been done. And it's something that shouldn't even have to exist. But that's the thing that this community is, they're all ears about. And that's why I think I get invited to so many um, local rotaries and small BNI groups because people want to hear about, A, what we do and why we even have to exist. Um, and that's what's, I think they're just intrigued by it. And then they get really frustrated and pissed off. Um, to, I was doing a presentation. Um, uh, it was last, I think, September. And uh, there was about 150 people in the room. And, you know, I don't necessarily want to sit here and have to call out my own state that I love. I love the state of Missouri. Um, but there's no resources through our state for these men and women that, in my opinion, so that they deserve it. Um, there's nothing through our counties or our cities, right? They're just not built that way, but maybe they should be. Maybe there should there needs to be some conversation had. But there was a state representative in that <laughs> in that uh, speaking engagement I was involved in, and he came up to me afterwards and he said, "Hey, I'm a state rep." Um, <laughs> cool and, story. <laughs> and yeah, and he goes, "I noticed, I noticed that you called out the state of Missouri a little bit. Would you like to sit down and have lunch?" And to his credit, we did. Three months later, we sat down and we had lunch, and I was very honest with him very honest with him. And, um, I told him that this conversation should have happened 30 plus years ago, but it didn't, but today's the day. Today's the day that we start the conversation of maybe allocating some money. And again, I don't run a state. I can't even imagine the magnitude of that, but today's the day that we sit down and we talk about this. We at least have a conversation 
Because um, your goal should be to put yourself out of business. As, as weird as that is I, to say. I'm, I'm all in for that, man. But I will tell you this. I had a friend of mine who's become a pretty good-sized donor to us, and he was – him and his wife both served in the military. And he said, Ronnie – because I've had this conversation with him in my, in my basement having a bourbon. And he said, Ronnie, here's the deal. I love what your idea is. I'm having the state or the counties or something, something there um, for, for folks to step in and, and it is a statewide thing, right? But you recognize there's going to be red tape. There has to, you have to answer the call still has to be there because like we talked about a minute ago, I'm there within 12 to 24 hours of the incident. And that's where the mental health side comes in that I've recognized is when AJ was shot last year in Kansas City, AJ told me, I, was, I walked right in. I, I met AJ. I met Mallory. I met their two beautiful kids. And it was a somber. I mean, it was somber. I mean, this was less than 12 hours after he was shot. There, the, the, there's extremely unknown, right? He told me months later after they did our video, which is on our website, I called in their own words and they sit down with some videographers and they just tell their story. And he said, man, that was more therapeutic and more, that was better for my mental health than anything I've been through. You showing up at the hospital, I'm still shot to you know what, um, and you walking in and handing my family $5,000 to support us and support my wife and my kids, and I can be selfish and just focus on myself, it's therapeutic. And I honestly didn't even think of it that way. But I went back and I thought that's where the light bulb went off with Josh. When Josh woke from that medically induced coma, and I was able to tell him, hey, brother, the entire time you've been asleep, we this community has been just funneling money into us to support you. And it's, it's like a light switch, man. You and your brothers and sisters at the fire department are selfless. You go to work every single day and the amount of lives that you save are, there's no way of putting a number on it. It's unmeasurable. To be selfish is a very difficult thing. Because you're so selfless. That's how you're, that's how we're, every fiber of our body is. You call, we come. Regardless of who you are, that's what I love about it. Who's going to step in and take care of you? When you're laying in that hospital bed and you're like, I need to get up and do things. I got to take care of this family, wife, and kids. I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to take care of it. My pastor said it best. We're going to lighten your load. I'm going to carry your pack. (laughs) It was beautiful. It, it, it impacted me in that sermon. And he wasn't even talking to me directly. This was a sermon he was putting on. He was talking about hiking through um, Yellowstone and he was about to die. And this young other pastor was with him, took his, you know, 80 pound pack off his back and put it on himself. And he's like, and pastor feels like, Whoa, you, you can't carry that. There's no way it's a hundred and some degrees and you're going to carry two packs. He's like, I'm just going to lighten the load for a little bit. It's just temporary. I'm going to give it back to you. And when my friend, Tyler Smith, who's an independence firefighter, and I I just dearly love this family, like I I dearly love them. They're young and they're courageous and they're, they're resilient. And Tyler's on his second diagnosis with a really nasty, aggressive, ugly cancer. And they've got these two beautiful daughters and one of them, uh, Brooke is special needs and she's wheelchair bound, nonverbal. I mean, so much for this young family to deal with. And we've been able to step in with him within almost weeks after his initial diagnosis. And we've donated a substantial amount of money and we will continue to until he's back on the job. But he asked me one day, he said, Ronnie, what have I done to deserve all of this help? 
I said, well, you go out and you serve this community for the last 10 years of your life, Tyler. How is there, there's no way of knowing the amount of lives you've saved and impacted daily. It's the least we can do as a community. The least we can do is to step in and support you. And I said, this isn't, I don't want to carry your pack the rest of your life, nor do you want me to. I'm here to lighten your load. I'm here to be the conduit of the community. And I'm here, this organization is their way of funneling. They're $5 if they can afford it, or they're $10,000 if they can afford it, to, to simply say thank you in your time of need, because you do it every single day. We are, as first responders, so stubborn with our own bullshit. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's just, it's, it, you can probably see I got the tear in my eye because this, what did I do to deserve this? It's never, it's never us. We will drive ourselves into the grave and kill ourselves yep. before we ask for help. And somehow you found the niche to be like, tough shit, you're getting it anyway. Tough shit, bud. <laughs> I've driven, I've found out where they've banked. And I go to their bank and I just deposit checks. And that's a great feeling because then I get that text. They're like, hey, you son of a motherfucker. And, and they're like, I didn't. And then three months later, they're like, oh, damn, I really needed that. Yeah, I, I know. You can apologize to me now. I don't give a shit. This isn't my money. This is the community's money. This is the community's way of saying, now that we know that this is a problem and this isn't being handled anywhere else, this is our way of saying, hey, Ronnie, answering the call, organization, step in. That's why I said, I was like, this is my job. They expect this of us. You know, I was on the SWAT team for eight years and I worked narcotics for 14. And honestly, for the vast majority of my career in law enforcement, I was on call at uh, in some form of another, right? So when that phone went off or that text message went out, you just picked up and went, right? Your bell goes off in your house. You just go. It's the same way with my phone. <laughs> that phone is my bell. That phone is my pager, right? That phone is, I dated myself a little bit saying pager because we had them <laughs> on the team when I first got on it. But honestly, when that thing went off, regardless of what I was doing, where, wherever I was at, with dinner with my wife, whatever it may have been, the community needed us and you just went. And that's exactly how I run this organization. When that, when that phone comes in or that text message comes in or that phone call comes in from a commander that's standing on the scene of a shooting where we have officers shot, it puts me on notice and it's time to get to work. And it's time to, uh, to do what the community asks us to do. Um, and I, I think the community appreciates that. I really do. And, and they show that. Um, we, you know, we brought in uh, close to $400,000 last year for our organization and we donated more than we ever have 168,000 donated back to Kansas city first responders last year. We've never reached that number. You've, uh, so obviously your agency <clears throat> of the many problems that occur with first responders, you guys specifically go after, after catastrophic Illness and injury. That's what's written in your bylaws. Yes, that's, sir. And you have I, and have had good conversations because, of course, me, little optimistic me, I'm like, what about this? Yeah. What about that? Could you do this? Yeah, can you, you do know? that? I'm like, nope. Um, and and speak to me a little bit too about how difficult it is because there still has to be a boundary in place. There, you still have to be a reference and not a resource all the time. There there still has to be some black and white so you can stay afloat. This can help more. Yeah. Um, Six, seven years ago, I met a man that a lot of us probably know. His name's Drawn Cherry, and he runs an amazing organization called the Drawn Cherry Foundation. He started it 30-plus years ago. 
And I met Jaron in his office. And the one thing that he said to me, he said many of things, but the one thing that I took away that I'll never forget is he said, don't over stretch yourself. And that was profound to me. You, you can't save the world and you can't help everyone. So you got to focus on the niche, right? I talked about a niche in my, in my uh, law enforcement career of, of working narcotics, but I've seen this, I've seen this need that was never being met. And I've seen the turmoil that it causes within a family. And then I've seen the breakdown and I've seen the divorce and I've seen the kids go through hell um, and no fault of their own. Right. So being able to provide that and being able to get involved and knowing what Jaron has done in the community and now that we're a, a, a foundation that he supports, um, man, it's just, it's, it, it, you know, you asked and it is, it's extremely therapeutic for me. It really is, but you can't save the world and you can't do it all. So our bylaws do read that you have to be a first, you has to be the first responder themselves, Right. Um, but the one thing that I've a resource that I've always that I've been wanting to provide and we've been able to provide and you know my phone rang a couple months ago from you with the situation that that occurred here in Kansas City with one of our first responders and their child and uh, so what we were able to do is we weren't able to step in and donate right then and there because it's not the first responder themselves but it's their child that's sick and we need to the community needs to come together and we need to raise some resources for this family so we we're able to open that fund for them right now we probably have i, I think i have 16 open uh, accounts right now for fundraising purposes for first responders in kansas city and it just gives the community away um co-workers family members hell folks folks in iowa right that want to that want to donate to this one this one cause um, and it gives them the opportunity to do that. You and I obviously know the difference, but to those that don't, they're listening. What's one of the difference? We see a lot of GoFundMe or website-based fundraising. Mm. How is answering the call different from some of those? Well, I mean, every dollar you bring in to can to, to for that first responder goes to them. Um, now there's fees. Uh, involved when it's not when their check isn't written directly to us or money isn't given directly to us you have fees through paypal and gofundme and things of that nature um i we're more i don't know the difference between us and them gofundme it's still a it's still a great conduit of of a way to 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 raise money and and reach the vast but i'm not when i donate directly to your account there's no fees there's no there's no fees. yeah exactly that's so. why i tell people you know if you can mail a check to our po box it's incredible because every dollar from that check goes to that family specifically when um when oswald was killed in fairway and their department chief um and some of their command staff reached out to me and they'd heard about us through olathe I believe it was Olathe. They said, hey, would you be able to open a fund for fundraising purposes? And I said, yeah, absolutely. It was open within 10 minutes because um, the public safety credit union is just incredible to work. They work so well with me. Um, and in, I would say, three and a half weeks, four weeks, we raised $224,000 for Hannah and those two, two, two little boys that never saw their daddy again. You know, um, he walked out, he kissed his, kissed his babies and kissed his wife and never came back home. Um, out serving our community. And that's what I was talking about. He stepped in front of that bullet. Didn't want to, but he did um, for our community. It's the least we can do. It's now our duty 
as a community to step in and take care of Hannah and those kids. And let me tell you, $224,000 in three to four weeks, that was a full-time job managing that money. Um, but it, it, I, will, I will do it again and again. I don't want to. I, I pray every year that our foundation never has to write a check, never has to make a donation. No family has to go through what all these other families have gone through. Um, but I'm a realist and our jobs are dangerous in nature, right? We know that. And we run to what people run away from. And, um, man, uh, it's just part of it. If for those that are listening that haven't interacted, you know, obviously with your organization before, I did see you guys are publishing pretty hard. You've got your bourbon or whiskey raffle. Yeah. Now, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I have 41 bottles that we'll be raffling off on March 7th. Um, we'll do a Facebook Live like we did uh, a year and a half, two years ago in 2020, 2022. We, we hosted our first one. Um, uh, I'm excited about it. The tickets are 10 bucks. You can buy as many as you like. Uh, but the cool thing is, is, is if you're a bourbon guy or gal, um, I have the entire Weller line, um, of Wellers to include, which I'm really excited about the, the big daddy of all of them. And that's the William LaRue. And so if you go to our website, which is atc911.org, you can, you can click up on the right and you'll see the whiskey event. You can click on it and you see, you see all the bottles. It's on a whiskey stave that this guy custom made and it says William LaRue Weller. And it's, I geek out on stuff like that, man. <laughs> There's not a lot of things I geek out on, but I, I do like a good bourbon. And I, I, it, bourbon starts conversation and it's a slow, my friend Slacker with 101 The Fox said that. He's like, Ronnie, you know what I love about bourbon? I love it because it takes you a while to drink and it makes the conversation go longer and it lasts longer. I'm like, man, I never thought of it like that, but it is a good conversation starter. So yeah, we got 41 great allocated bottles um, to include that end of the night prize of the the, the entire well line. Um, and then, you know, we have a golf tournament coming up on May 20th. Uh, registration will open for that next next week. Um, ladies night, which was a huge hit, uh, single bingo ladies night, which we do at Stonehouse Winery and Lee summit will be June 29th. And then our big event where we brought in $120,000 last year, um, will be our uh, trivia night. This is our sixth year, I believe fifth or sixth year. Um, and that'll be uh, the, the first or second week of November. I'm not sure yet because we don't have our date through Stony Creek. Uh, we have to wait for the chief schedule to come out. I do believe too. Um, oh, I've even got to look it up now. We've got a hash browns and Harleys at Outlaw yeah. Harley Davidson for you. We do. Um, and we'll put that. Obviously, we'll put your link and your dates and everything in the bio for this. Um, kind of, if you could summarize, especially we've we've talked a lot about. But for those that just don't know, they aren't in the first responder community. They don't kind of understand this. What's your message about your organization? to just Joe Schmo civilian that doesn't isn't in this life like we are. Yeah, our mission is 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 just this. We step in to our first responders after a catastrophic severe injury and or rare and aggressive diagnosis and we serve them. We serve those that serve us. It's pretty simple. Um again, it it could go down the rabbit hole of I can't believe there's not resources involved. And I try to stay away from that as much as I can. I try to educate a little bit, but I'm just like, listen, let's focus on the mission of answering the call. We are truly answering their call. They answer ours every single day, every single day, thousands of calls go out in this community and men and women, we don't even know rush to our aid. 
how many lives lives are saved every single day in this community because men and women step up, they swear an oath, they put on a badge, they put on their their bunker gear, and they rush to our aid, our community's nine one one calls every single day. We are that organization that, God forbid, they need our service. We are that organization that steps in and answers their call for service. This sounds kind of corny, but it's true. We answer their call for service. Um, they don't want us there. They And I tell them all the time, you guys don't want to meet me. I recognize that. I wouldn't want to meet me if I was in that uniform. But when and if you're in a situation where you're like my friend Josh, and unbeknownst to yourself, you're you're placed in a medically induced coma. I want you to know that there's an organization here that's going to be taking care of your family and carrying your pack temporarily. We're going to lighten your load. And we're going to give it back to you. And I think that's the message I send to the community. Um, and and they they have some great questions. They have a lot of it goes back to why are there not resources in place, and I just can't answer those. Um, but I will start that conversation. What are, you know, this year for 2024 and going forward, what are some of your goals for answering a call? Man, thanks for asking that. So when I, I early retired from the Leeson Police Department in 2022, December 2nd, I did it for one purpose and one reason, and that was to do more. I recognized working full time and trying to run this organization and grow it. It just wasn't happening. A lot of my board members um, had conversations with me to do it full time. And I just wasn't ready to step away or didn't feel like it was the right time. But 2022 was, um, I set goals for myself uh, to be a million dollar nonprofit in five years. So now we've got four to go. Um, And I want to be more impactful. I want to walk into the JP's lives um, when he's laying in his hospital bed, his deathbed, truthfully, if we're honest, after given the terrible news that JP was given. And I want to be able to look him in the eyes like I did. And I want to tell him that your beautiful wife and your children will always be taken care of by this organization. Um, I was able to tell that to my friend, Mike, Michael Wells, with the uh, lieutenant with Lenexa Fire Department. And I'll never forget this. We were on surveillance and I was northbound on 435 at 23rd Street. My phone rang. Last the, the, I should not answer the phone when we're on surveillance, but Mike was calling me and he was fighting a nasty, aggressive throat cancer. And I answered it. And he said to me, he said, Ronnie, I've just been given the news. Much like JP, I'm not going to survive my current situation. And he told me he wasn't scared of death, but he was worried and scared of leaving his wife, Katie, and their three kids. Quite honestly, I haven't even told Katie this, so she's going to hear this now. I haven't had the heart to do it. But I said to him, I said, Mike, I promise you this. Your wife and kids will always be looked after as long as I'm alive. And I will always make sure that they will never need for anything financially. And it was like this, um, on the other end of the line, he was like this breath fresh air came through him and he's, he, he knew it. He trusted me. And, um, Katie and I, uh, my wife and Katie have, we've all remained in contact. Um, I know her brother, <laughs> I've met her mom and dad, her kids come and, and Katie come to the Kansas City Mavericks game with us every year on first responder night. Um, and now I'm so damn honored that Katie is now one of my sitting board members. And I get that amazing woman's perspective in her heart and, what she's gone through sitting on our board 
sitting on our board. And she was a huge voice for JP when that vote came up. And she said uh, on our text thread, she said, I know exactly what this family is going to endure financially. We have to get involved here immediately. And it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. Um, yeah, being able to provide that to these men and women, you know, we've lost some of our recipients over the years. Uh, I stay in contact with those that I can as much as I can. Um, like I said before, some I've never even met. Um, I do hear the, the, the stories of them getting back to work, and I love that. I love that a Missouri State Trooper was was literally hit on New Year's standing on the side of the road doing a, a motorist assist at 55 miles an hour. Um, and three months later, he was back on the job. And he called me on the phone. It was on the east side of the state, on the St. Louis side. And this guy called me. He's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know? Uh, I think the guy had only been on the job maybe a year. Um, and, and he's like, this just $5,000 check just appears at my doorstep. And, you know, I don't want to take the credit for it, but I really believe being able to, again, lighten that load and allowing him just to kind of him and his wife, young, brand new married wife to, to focus on himself, allowing her to take off work when she needed to and felt comfortable doing because they knew there was a little bit of extra funds in their account and um, they could, they didn't have to worry about working a little extra while he was going to be off. And that's what it's all about is, is we want these men, we want these men and women back on the job. They, where they want to be. Tyler can't wait to get back on the job. He's fighting his second round of, of cancer. He's got a special needs daughter at home. You know, we're fundraising right now to put an elevator in his home because the family needs it because his sweet little wife can't carry this beautiful little girl of hers up and down the two flights of stairs anymore. And she's got a terrible, um, Spinal surgery coming up in July. So we're working with the elevator company to get this done. A lot of people are coming to their aid right now. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of um, just telling their story, Jamie. These stories need to be told. And, you know, unless you hear about it on the news, you don't hear about it. But I tell people this all the time. You'll never see me, and I promise you this, you'll never see me parade any of our recipients in front of a camera or hand them a big old to-do check just for a donation. I won't, I refuse until they want to tell their story, until they want to sit down and tell their story, right? But I, I tell people this all the time. If you hear about it on the news, I guarantee you we're already involved, without a doubt. And that family will be taken care of, guaranteed. For those listening, obviously, <clears throat> to hear this, hear these stories, want to do more, how can they? Yeah, um, you know, uh, not everybody's wants to get in a bourbon raffle. Not everybody wants to come to a, a trivia night or a ladies' night single bingo or a golf tournament. Um, so obviously we have so many different ways to donate, and all those all those different options are on our website, which is atc911.org. My my push last year and our big campaign. You and I have talked about this. Um, is our $9.11 a month recurring donation. It's critical. It, it, that reoccurring donation coming in every month is critical. And my goal is to reach, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but my goal is to reach 3,000 Kansas Cityans to, to jump on board and, let's say, answer that call, right? And 
commit to that minimum $9.11 a month. You can go straight to our website. You can click on that reoccurring button. It'll take you to our PayPal account. Um, and you can do $9.11. You can do $29.11. You know, um, we have a family that does $200 a month. They have for several years. It's incredible. Um, but if I can get 3,000 Kansas Cityans at a minimum of $9.11 a month, that's 325000 reoccurring. And another goal that I've set for myself in five years is our men and women that lose their profession over their illness or injury, I want to pay their mortgage off. That's where I see us in five years. And there was no way of obtaining that goal still working at the police department. There just was no way. Um, there was no way to be able to do more and step into these men and women's lives when they need it the most and take their entire situation in consideration and donate $10,000, $20,000, knowing they're going to be off for a year. We had a Merriam officer several years back that was fighting cancer. He was off for 12 months. That's a long time to go without, you know, just go with a minimum $40, 40-hour-a-week check, man. When your 40-hour-a-week pay isn't, what pays the bills? It's your overtime and off duty. It's your secondary job. You take a firefighter off his secondary job for an extended period of time. That's gonna that's gonna be a pinch in the butt, right? So that nine dollars and eleven cents a month is a way for the community. It's forgettable. I mean, that is a forgettable amount. Me and my family do it. Um, it's extremely forgettable. It's it comes out every month. It's it's a coffee a week. You know, that's how I, I describe it to people. <laughs> that's uh, about how much coffee costs now. <laughs> with coffee, with inflation. <laughs> yeah. You know, and honestly, it, it was a number that um, $9, it's nine eleven. You know, we think about our first responders and the heroic acts of our police officers and really specifically our firefighters on that day in September 11th. And it's just a number that resonated with me. And I felt like it was a number that most, most Missourians, Kansas Cityans, Kansas folks could have, could afford. Um, and first responders themselves, you know, I tell guys all this all the time. I'm like, this is, this is a, the, a life insurance policy for $9.11 a month that you hope you never have to use, but you know what you're getting. God forbid you need it. Your family, more importantly, because I'm like, I can take care of myself, but somebody better damn well step in and take care of my wife and kids while I'm incapacitated. So that's who I focus on. And I was able to tell AJ that in a hospital room the day after he was shot. And I said, brother, I'm here. I'm so glad I've met you. And I, and I want you to know I'm here for you. But you see this wife and these beautiful little kids, I'm their resource now. Anything they need above and beyond a financial, a financial help, we're here to support them. Um, and to be able to provide that to you guys that are out there working your tails off every single day and grinding. It's, it feels good to be able to do that for you guys. I think it, I think it helps with, I won't say, I'm not going to take uh, credit that helps with recruiting, but I think it helps, uh, uh, you know, the sure spouses. It helps with retention. It helps with retention. It helps the spouses at home. I would say about 85 to 90% of our volunteers are all spouses of first responders. They have, they, they know who we are and what we do. And God forbid their door gets knocked on at 3 a.m. They know that shortly thereafter, there's going to be a phone call. Uh, they're going to be meeting me and there's going to be a, an envelope in my hand. And that's straight from the community saying, thank you. We're here to support you. That's what I love about it. Well, brother, I can't thank you enough from coming on tonight. It is, for starters, your friendship 
has been one that I will always continue to cherish. Yes, and, sir. And as it grows, and it's just been great, especially as a younger person in this service, just learning from you, and especially in a couple of the incidents we've worked on together now, just learning everything that goes into this and how best to do it. Well, also, I think, humbly staying out of the picture. It's it's a balance, but I've learned a lot from you, and I, I greatly appreciate that more than you know and greatly appreciate our friendship. I, I, I was excited when you invited me. I think I might have even invited myself, but then you, 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 you accepted. <laughs> I, you know, uh, to your credit, man, you do a lot in this community too, behind the scenes, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. There always has to be a Jamie Moran in the, in the community and somebody that, you know, isn't afraid to make that phone call and ask that question, and that's what I tell people. I, I received a call from a detective with Kansas City the other day, and even though we weren't able to step in in the situation, she's like, well, I'm sorry to bother you. I said, no, hell no. I want to be that resource. I want to be that resource that you at least reach out to because I know people. I've met people, and it was more of a mental health side, and we can't get involved in the mental health side of it. Um, but I was able to hopefully lead her down a path to get her coworker some assistance. Well, I kind of pipe in there, Ronnie. I think you do get involved in the mental health side because what you're able to do by going and easing that financial burden for those people that's the first step. It takes so much probably mental pressure that they can focus that energy in other places. Yeah. Good point. So, I mean, yeah, I know it's not your, your mission, but you're, you're doing that for sure. Yeah. I hired a grant writer last year for three months um, to kind of help us with the grant side of things. There's so many great grants out there for first responders, and I, I didn't know the first thing about it. And this woman came highly recommended. Um, and at the end of our three months, um, she had this three-page grant letter, which we're going to start submitting for grants. But during the three months that we would meet, she would sit down, and, and I mean, she's written grants for m- multi-million-dollar foundations. You know, we're, we're nowhere near that, but we'll get there. I know we will. But the uniqueness and the creativity she had to put into it because no one had ever done what we're doing. She's like, I've never written a grant like this before. I've never written a letter like this before. But after I got her letter and I was reading through it, that's exactly what she touched on was through her research. She she did research. It showed um, the average income for Missouri and Kansas was extremely low for first responders in throughout our 50 states. We're one of the lowest paid uh, two states in the entire country. Um, and then she also put in there that being able to assist them early on rather than later was a mental benefit to them. And, you know, listening, reading that and listening to the AJ and remembering Josh's face when I told him we were able to take care of his family financially, it all started clicking. And, yeah, uh, yeah, we're not sitting across from the table and providing counseling, but we are providing a financial assistance that is, like you said, able to lighten that load for them and let them really kind of focus focus on yeah. themselves. Well, Jeremy, any final thoughts? Um, you know, I thanks for coming on. This is, yeah, it, it's one of those things of you. It almost, yeah. it, 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 I, I've got it because when I first started talking with him, like you're speechless. You are that civilian that goes, how the hell has this yeah. not been getting done? What, what are we doing here? You but, know, and it's, and, and the thing is, I get it though, because it, it's like you said previously, whenever you were talking of, if the bureaucrats get involved, 
then there's red tape. Mm. And then who is actually making the decision and how right. fast is that decision going to be made? And it, it's one of those things of, I hate it that there even has to be an organization, but at the same time, thank God it's one of us doing it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It took tragedy. Unfortunately, it took my friend Josh and me being involved with him for four months and his wife and his kids to see really, really truly behind the scenes. You know, when, when one of these situations occurs, right, people are there for two or three weeks and everybody's there at the house and there's all this hustle and bustle. But at, at some point, the dust settles and all these people go away. And that family is just left to sit in that home. And every single day I would drop Melissa off at her house, five, six o'clock at night. I got to go home, kick my feet up and have a beer, have a conversation with my wife. Melissa walked in that door, a mother, a mother of three kids, homework, meal, dinner, bath time, bedtime, and then she would cry herself to sleep for four months. Yeah. On top of that, the stress of thinking, okay, well, is this the last meal I'm going to be able to cook for them? Right. I mean, is my house going to go in foreclosure? And quite honestly, Dave Moore, I mentioned him earlier, he was our chaplain and good friend of mine, and he was actually one of the founding fathers of of our organization. Um, He sat down with all of the uh, the bill collectors and we're just making phone call after phone call after phone call after phone call and just telling them their story. I understand they're a little late on this one, but can you give them some grace? We had this situation going on. Um, that doesn't happen typically. Yeah. These families don't have that. So to be able to alleviate that and 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 not have bill collectors calling them. My, my Sergeant John King, who's now unfortunately passed, he was um, diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. He was my sergeant that brought me up from patrol to the detective unit. But if you go to our website and you watch one of our videos, John's on there. It was actually the last, I think it was the last thing he ever did before he passed. He was on his deathbed. He drug himself into FOP Lodge 50 and did that video for us because he wanted to because of the impact we made on his wife and his family and his kids and himself. Um, but he said that. He said, you don't have the bill collectors calling you because you have an organization that's stepping in and keeping them at bay. And, um, you know, hearing those stories, it, it, it's, I don't like going to the hospital. Who wants to? Who wants to have to go see these these horrible scenes? But it was impactful to me to walk into AJ's room and tell him, brother, I got you and these two kids and this beautiful wife, we're going to take care of them. Going into JP's room, knowing that days later, he wasn't going to be with us, been able to provide him a little glimpse of hope on his last couple of days on this planet after all the years of service and all the things he did for this community and provide a, a service to his wife and his kids, a financial one. I think it alleviates a little bit of stress from the situation. I mean, I know it does. Um, and that's all, that's all credit to our community just uh, coming to their aid through us. It's, it's still, I will always just be, it's one of the most humbling things I've ever interacted with. Um, Ronnie, brother, any final thoughts for our viewers tonight? Uh, thank you guys for having me. You know, the community of Kansas City, I honestly, I, I say it all the time and I probably don't say it enough, but um, just thank you guys for believing in us, believing in our organization. 
Um, thank you for supporting the men and women that serve and protect us. I, I'm just so grateful for the Kansas City community coming out and supporting us and, and allowing us the opportunity, allowing me the opportunity to step into these heroes' lives at their most critical time. I'm just grateful, extremely. Well, brother, thanks for stopping by. For those listening again, atc911.org, if you want to donate, get on that $9.11 reoccurring donation. Um like the events we talked about tonight, those are going to be up. If you'd like to volunteer and help out with those, reach out through that website. That's going to be the way to do it. <laughs> Guys, as we talk about every episode, if you are struggling, reach out. Just This is just another example of all the ways that there are assistance and there is help out there. All right? There are so many different methods, so many different ways to find the help you guys need. As always, thank you for stopping by the Washdown Podcast. Have a great night.